Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. I want to welcome you to our study in the book of Jeremiah. We've entitled the study, The Expectations of Jeremiah. And we are in the midst of the study. In fact, we are in the midst of uh, chapter 17. And our study is going to pick up again from verse 19 as we continue into the study. Um, just to review very, very quickly, you know, Jeremiah is, of course, very tierce about pointing out the sins of the house of Judah. And uh, you can understand, after you look at some of these things, he must have said to them at various snippets and various, standing in the gateways, the leaders of the people come through, and he starts prophesying these incredible things. You, you can tell that they really didn't like him. And there was a lot of reasons why they didn't like him, because they didn't like, you know, the, the way he would describe their sin and point it out to them. And uh, they, they themselves had already taken steps to forget the Lord, walk away from the Lord, and he was forcing them to deal with that honestly. When people decide not to follow the Lord, they don't make a big announcement. Okay, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. No, they just drift away. And they actually, if anybody comes up and even brings up the subject, they they kind of act like, what? what? What are you saying? You know, I'm, you know, and they act like nothing's happening. Uh, and Jeremiah would go at these various points, and he would like, oh yeah, you sinners, you know, you've walked away from the Lord, haven't you? You know, and he was forcing them to come to terms with what they in fact were doing. And of course, this was very irritating to them. And Jeremiah was going through systematically and pointing out several of these things that they were doing inappropriately. And in this particular passage, he's going to point out some things about the way they were treating Sabbath. And he's going to point that out. So with that introduction, let's go to verse 19 and follow along. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in a public gate through which the kings of Judah come in and go out as well as in all of the gates of Jerusalem, and say to them, Listen to the word of the Lord, kings of Judah and all of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who come in through these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed for yourselves, and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day, or bring anything through the gates of Jerusalem. And you shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. And in fact, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, it's very clear that the commandment, the fourth commandment, is that you shall cease from your labors on the Sabbath day. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy or separate from the other days of the week. Six days you may labor, but on the seventh you will rest and not labor. Well, in the days of Jeremiah, uh, business, economy, and so forth, it was a little bit like the days that we live here. Businesses were operating seven days a week, 24-7. And so there was all kinds of people doing all kinds of activities all the days of the week. You, they, they, there was no visible Sabbath whatsoever. And you would sing, see people bringing the harvest in, you know, on a Sabbath day. You'd see manufacturers of people in, in Jerusalem carrying stuff out on Sabbath day. In other words, every, it's like nobody was keeping the Sabbath. And the evidence of them not keeping the Sabbath is they're still working, and here's this product, and it's going coming in and out of the gates of Jerusalem. And he's standing at the gate pointing out. He said, see that? See that? That load? That load? That and he's pointing out, you guys aren't keeping Sabbath. You're not holding to the commandment uh, of the Lord. And it's a pretty direct um, reflection of the commandment going right back to the Ten Commandments that God spoke from Mount Sinai. It's, it's really defenseless on their part as to what they are addressing, what they're doing. There is no reasonable explanation for them to be carrying on business practices, carrying loads in and out of the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Well, there's Jeremiah at the gate, and he's pointing that out. I'm sure everybody that went through there went, oh, boy, got to deal with Jeremiah. you know." Uh, so let's go a little bit further into this. 
Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. You ever uh, walk down the street and you see some street vendor or somebody on the street who calls out to you and wants your attention, wants to sell you something, you know, whatever, and you just ignore them? You just keep going. You know they're trying to get your attention. You know they're trying to talk to you. So you've made the decision, I'm not going to deal with them, so I'm just going to keep walking. Well, Jeremiah is out here prophesying like this, and this is the way all the people are treating him. They're all walking by like he's not even there. He's not even saying anything. And this is, this is they're, they, they're not going to listen or incline their ears, but they're stiffening their necks in order that they will not, not to listen to take correction. By stiffening their neck, they won't turn. They won't turn to see what you're saying. They'll just keep looking forward. Their neck will become stiff. And they'll just go forward. That's a picture of a stiff neck. A stiff-necked person is a person that won't turn their head to hear what you have to say. They just look forward, ignore you. Verse 24, but it will come about if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing no work in it, then there will come in through the gates of this city kings and princes and sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever." They will come from the cities of Judah, from the environs of Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the lowland, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings, sacrifices, grain offerings, and incense, and bringing sacrifices of thanksgiving to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day a holy by not carrying a load and coming in through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, Then I shall kindle a fire in its gates, and it will devour the palaces of Jerusalem and not be quenched. Before we go any further, I want to make sure that you understand that part of the judgment that uh, Jeremiah pronounced about the Babylonian captivity had to do with the Sabbath. Not only is there Sabbath day on the weekly thing, but there's a sabbatical year. Every seven years is called the Shemitah. And that's a year in which you don't plant crops and you don't harvest crops and you give the land its rest. Now, it's this Sabbath thing. It's, it's resting uh, as the Lord had commanded them to do. The reason why that the house of Judah went into 70 years of captivity in Babylon Jeremiah said, it's going to be 70 years you're going to be there because at that point, they had, Israel had been in the land for 490 years and never once had kept the Shemitah year. Even after the days of Joshua, they never kept the Shemitah year. They never, you know, this commandment was given by Moses and the Torah and they never observed it. And so after 490 years or 70 sabbatical years, Jeremiah pronounced, God's going to kick you out of the land and for 70 years, and he's going to give the land its 70 years of rest that it's entitled to. You will not be here to plant crops, harvest stuff, and so I'm going to give the land its rest. Now, let me fast forward with you. You know, of course, that Judah did go into Babylonian captivity, the prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth, and they prophesied the return of Judah. Judah did come back. And then we have Nehemiah, if you remember that story. He's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They're coming back from Babylonian captivity, trying to get reestablished. Um, they're trying to get the temple reestablished again. And uh, we have the Zerubbabel temple that's being done at that time. Nehemiah records for us the following. He saw men bringing the harvest in on the sabbatical year. He saw them bringing in and offending, doing exactly the same thing that those prior to the Babylonian captivity had done, that Jeremiah had warned them against. And Nehemiah pronounced then upon Israel, now you've brought seven times the judgment upon us. 
and meaning an even greater judgment. And sure enough, uh, we have the Babylonian captivity, but then the worldwide captivity is the punishment. And guess what the punishment for the worldwide captivity is? That the Israel would not keep the commandments of the Lord. Namely, they wouldn't give the land its sabbatical rest. They wouldn't observe the Yovel years. They wouldn't return the land properly to the tribes. It's the offenses they did to the land, to the land and to the Lord himself. And that's part of the, they've received double for their iniquity. They've received double for their punishment. One was the sin against the land, the land that I gave you, and the other is the sin against me. And so it has to do with the failure to keep the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. So here we are at the end of the age. And we're turning back to the Torah. And we're learning to keep the commandments of the Lord. How important do you think it is for us as the remnant of Israel today for us to keep the Sabbath? Have we not learned the lesson from the past, from our ancestors? Have we not learned that the Lord um, really takes that commandment very seriously? This is the reason why we're not in the land. And before we get to go back to the land, we're going to need to show and demonstrate to the Lord that we're prepared to keep the Sabbath. Now, this is a great time while we're scattered in the nations to learn how to keep the Sabbath. So that when we get back to the kingdom, we'll keep the Sabbath. I can assure you that when we're in the kingdom with the Messiah, and he's dwelling with us there in Jerusalem, we will definitely keep the Sabbath. Might as well learn how to do it right now. And take the lesson of of, um, Jeremiah. Learn the lesson from Nehemiah. Learn the lesson of that this was this double payment for iniquity. That we've had to endure. And we've been scattered in the nations for a long time. And I'm looking forward to the day when the Lord says, okay, enough punishment. Let's bring them back. But, brethren, let me just say to you, we need to come back with the idea in mind. We're not going to break those commandments anymore. We are going to obey the Lord. Amen? All right. So now we're at chapter 18. And it begins with this. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, all the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. And if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or at another moment... I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. So now speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. O turn back, each of you, from your evil ways and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say, it is hopeless, for we're going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart. What a word picture this is. Jeremiah is there, and the Lord says, I want to illustrate something to you, Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's house, and I want you to see what he does down there. And apparently when he got down there, here was the potter. He was at his wheel. He was turning, and he was making something. And all of a sudden... The potter, which it looked like it was going to be a jar or something, all of a sudden his hands crushed it, and he makes it into something different, like a bowl or something. And and it's like, why did he do that? Well, that's the choice of the potter. 
the clay doesn't get to have a say about what it wants to be made into. It's the potter who does that. And then he announces, O Israel, you are the clay. The Lord is the potter. He will decide what Israel will be, not you. You will not do it. But this is one of the fundamental uh, issues when it comes to spiritual maturity that all of us have to come to terms with. Are we willing to let a sovereign God, creator of the heavens and the earth, creators of us, um, are we willing to allow him to exert his will as he chooses on us and our lives, or are we going to be resistive to him and try to make ourselves into what we want to be? And it's a, a basic question. And Jeremiah is basically saying to Israel at that time, he said, you're not answering this question correctly. You are in your mind, you're saying that you're going to follow your plan, not God's plan. And this is the reason why you're going to falter and you're going to fail. Um, And this is the reason why the Lord is going to treat you accordingly. And he basically goes on to say, he says, I'm here to announce to you that God has already put a plan together to... Um, to bring calamity upon you. Now, if you were to submit to God's will, he would turn that around. He would, and instead of bringing calamity to you, he would bring success to you. But you would have to be willing to change your thinking. Now, the reason why that's such an interesting illustration is because let's back up for a moment. Let's say that God's plan is to do good to you. Okay, he's going to make you into something nice. And then you become resistive of the Lord. Well, it makes sense that he would do something differently with you. He, he would keep you from having that good thing. Um, but think in the situation they're in. God has said, I'm planning calamity and, and uh, harm and judgment to come upon you. Do you want to change that now? You would think that once they know that God is planning on bringing harm to you, that that would provoke them to choose the Lord. Nope, not even that one did. Not even the warning that you'll lose blessings, Not that that didn't affect them. God's going to judge you. Will that change their mind? No, that won't adjust them at all as well. Put yourself in the role of a parent, saying to your child, you're trying to train your child to be obedient. So you say, on the one hand, if you'll be obedient, I will do these wonderful things. I'll take you on this trip. I'll share these things with you. You'll get this treat. You know, you'll get these blessings. And and the child, when it continues to persist and be disobedient and they won't respond to it, guess what you as a parent do? You revert to the other side. Now, if you continue to do that and don't go back and so forth, now I'm definitely going to punish you. If you continue to do that, I'm going to punish you. And when you have a child that rebels, even then, there's only thing, one thing left, punishment. That's where Israel was, like a disobedient child that wouldn't respond to the blessing, wouldn't respond to the punishment. They just walked themselves right into this. And as a parent, think about how frustrating that is because that's your main mechanism to train your child is to incentivize them to do good, incentivize them either to avoid punishment or incentivize them to pursue a blessing. That's all we as parents can do from a training standpoint. And that's what the Lord is trying to do with Israel, only they're not responding to it at all. So here we are now at verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask now among the nations, whoever has heard the like of this? The virgin of Israel has done a most appalling thing. Does the snow of Lebanon forsake the rock of the open country? Or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever snatched away? For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods. They've stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths, to walk in bypaths, not on highways, 
to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will shake his head. Like an east wind, I will scatter them before the, the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. Now, I want you to take note of when he says to him, he says, I'm going to show you an east wind. In Israel, like here in the United States and being a part of the northern hemisphere, the predominant winds and flow of weather is from the west to the east. The weather comes out of the west. Here in Oklahoma, if we want to see what the weather is going to be like, why we see what's hitting um, up in the northwest, what's, what's hitting uh, Washington State and what's hitting Oregon and going to come across the mountains and sweep down the plains and going to hit us, what's coming out of the north and so forth. If all of a sudden we had a weather pattern that was coming from Florida, we would take note of that. We would go, what the heck is going on? The, the winds are going completely uh, different. And so in Israel, when he says and he explains about something being an east wind, that's completely contrary to the normal weather pattern. And it, it's an effort uh, to try to get uh, Israel to take note. This is, this is unusual. This, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is different. And you're not getting it. You're not taking note of how significant uh, this is. Verse 18, then they said, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Surely the law is not going to be lost uh, to the priest, nor counsel to the sage, nor divine word to the prophet. Come and let us strike him with our tongue and let us give no heed to any of his words. Ah, that's an interesting, you know, Jeremiah's recording for us. This is what the people actually started to do with Jeremiah. You know, we are so irritated by what he's doing and what he's saying. You do realize that if we just get rid of Jeremiah, we still have, we still have priests. We still have all of the normal things that we have here in the country. I mean, really, why do we need Jeremiah? He's just an irritant to us. And so it speaks to the words of Jeremiah's enemies. And they're basically saying, look, Jeremiah, we can do without you. We don't need you at all. We don't like what you have to say, and we don't even need you around. Um, so they're making, uh, making a plan to essentially get rid of it. Verse 19, this is Jeremiah's response. Do give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to what my opponents are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? For they have dug a pit for me. Remember how I stood before thee to speak good on their behalf so as to turn away their, their wrath from them. Therefore, give their children over to famine and deliver them up to the power of the sword, and their wives become childless and widowed. Let their men also be smitten to death, their young men struck down by the sword into battle. May an outcry be heard from their houses when thou suddenly bringest raiders upon them, for they have dug a pit to capture me, for the, and, and hidden snares for my feet. Yet thou, O Lord, knowest as their deadliest designs come against me. Do not forgive their iniquity or blot out their sin from thy sight, that may they be overthrown before thee and deal with them in thine anger. Now, I've got to tell you, here's Jeremiah. And he's basically saying, Lord, you know the things that they have planned for me. Would you go ahead and slaughter? Now, most of us in being brought up in our Christian teaching, we would say, well, a godly man wouldn't do that. A godly man wouldn't, wouldn't say that. Uh, because we have this definition about how people are supposed to behave and about how grace and mercy is supposed to be the dominant thing. The people who hold that ignore justice and righteousness. By the way, those are true things just as much as grace and mercy. And the Lord is all of those things, not just a couple of those things. And I can assure you 
that if enough harm comes to you, that you will call upon the Lord for him to exercise justice and righteousness as well. And while we're not supposed to be just hating everybody who crosses us or who sins against us, every one of us have our limits. And by the way, God has his limit on what he's willing to tolerate with sin. By the way, if you're saying, oh, no, he's limitless, I would remind you of the great flood. The world hit his limit, and he judged the world. By the way, God says there's another limit coming. It's going to be called the day of the Lord. So if those things are already established, we already know about those things, Essentially, Jeremiah is calling upon the justice and righteousness of God. He said, if I could put words in his mouth, I would say something like, God, you've already been gracious to them. You've already been merciful to them. How about we see some justice now? And because it's all part of the same package. It's all part of God's character and there's a lot of people that don't, their God doesn't, isn't a just God. Their God is not a righteous God. Their God they've created in their head, he's just full of grace and mercy. And I am fearful for a lot of my Christian brethren who believe in that kind of God and, don't, and deny him being a just God and a righteous God who does carry out judgment, who does not let the guilty go unpunished. And by the way, the Lord said that of himself in Exodus 34, verse 7. He says, this is me, the Lord, talking. And he says, I do not let the guilty go unpunished. I will get them. And essentially, Jeremiah is saying, they are guilty they want to do harm to me. They are, and you know they're guilty. Could you exercise some of your justice um, on my behalf? When we get down to the day of the Lord, when we get through the great tribulation and all that will be taking place, the final believers, they will be welcoming God's justice. They will be very happy that the day of the Lord is coming and that God will exercise justice on all that have been opposed to him, all of his enemies. It'll be a good thing that is taking place. Jeremiah is speaking in a very personal way about his own situation, but it's the same principles of God's justice and righteousness. All right, chapter 19. Thus says the Lord, Go and buy a potter's earthenware jar, And take some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests. Then go to the valley of Behemon, Ben-Hemon, which is by the entrance of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell you. Again, this is another one of those things where God's now telling Jeremiah, I want you to go and do this particular thing, and then I'll speak to you and tell you something to say there. Verse 3, and he said, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to bring a calamity upon this place, at which the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle, because they have forsaken me, and have made this an alien place, and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever come to enter my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place will be no longer be called Topeth or the Valley of Behemoth, but the Valley of Slaughter. And I shall make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem, and I shall cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand when they seek their life, 
And I shall give over their carcasses as food for the birds and the skies and the beasts of the earth. And I shall make the city a desolation and an object of hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all of its disasters. And I shall make them eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters. And they will eat one another's flesh in the siege and in distress in which their enemies and those who seek their life will distress them. Then you will break the jar in the sight of men who accompany you and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Just so shall I break this people in this city, even as one who breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be repaired, and they will bury in Topeth, because there is no place for burial. This is how I shall treat this place and its inhabitants, declares the Lord, so as to make the city like Topeth. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the kings of Judah will be defiled like the place of Topeth, because of all the houses in which the rooftops they burned sacrifices to all the heavenly host and poured out libations to other gods. Now, before I go any further, you were reading this and you were thinking, all right, so Jeremiah has been told to take this jar, go down there, and then we're going to make this speech. And we're going to talk about how this place is going to be a very special place, um, the Valley of Slaughter, and uh, that will be transforming. And, and then break the jar and show how God is going to um, break the land down, break the city of Jerusalem, break down the people of Israel, and this will be the place of judgment for them. Well, what you didn't realize was this was a prophecy for the millennial kingdom. This wasn't a prophecy for in that day, because this didn't happen in that day. But the prophecy in the kingdom says that when the day of the Lord takes place, and that when the Lord returns, that he is going to take all of the sinners, and he's going to put them in outer darkness, and he's going to put them in a place, in a, in a place where they're going to be at, and they're going to stay there until the resurrection of the dead when they get raised up to be judged for eternity. There's going to be this holding place. And according to the other prophets, they say the smoke from Topeth will come up from that place while we're in the millennial kingdom. So one of the dimensions of being returned back to the land of the Lord, being immortal, being living with the Lord for a thousand years, there's going to be this place that we call as Topeth, and there's going to be smoke coming out of a pit. And what will that place be? We won't go there. We will avoid that place. That is where all of God's enemies are at down there in that pit waiting for judgment, ultimate judgment, when they'll be raised up. Jeremiah is explaining to them this future place where it will be. And this didn't happen in Jeremiah's day or immediately after Jeremiah. This is something that still the other prophets project is going to happen, um, and it'll be something that we'll witness. If we're in the Messianic kingdom, we'll witness this valley. We will see this place. If you remember the day of the Lord... The Lord gathers up all those that are going to die, and he puts them in a particular place. He doesn't throw them in hell. You remember, he, he throws the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire. He puts the devil in the bottomless pit. He said, well, all the other sinners, they go in this other thing called Topeth. And that's where they're going to stay until they get raised up to be judged. Now, we don't hear a lot about this because, first of all, it's not a pleasant topic. You know, there's a lot of other better things to do. But Jeremiah comes and announces that that's what this place is going to be. And if you do a word study on Topeth, you'll find out there's future prophecies that that's how the those that are opposed to the Lord, those that are enemies of the Lord in the Messianic kingdom, that's where they're going to be. They're going to be in that pit. They're going to be in that place. Which, by the way, as the Lord has explained before, is a place of outer darkness. And that's, that's what he's referring. He's referring to that place that will be outer darkness where they'll be stored. It's not hell yet. Well, it's hellish, but it's not hell as we understand the lake of fire to be. Um, it is a, a, another holding place 
uh, for them before we have the great judgment at the end of the messianic kingdom. All right. So let's see. Let's, we are at verse 14. Then Jeremiah came from Topeth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house, and he said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring on this city and all its town an entire calamity that I have declared against it, because they have stiffened their necks so as not to heed my words. So he's announcing now precisely judgment that will be upon them that will be coming. Chapter 20 now. And when Pasher the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. Then it came about on the next day when Pasher released Jeremiah from the stocks that Jeremiah said to him, Pasher is not the name of the Lord that has called you, but rather Magor Mississib. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am going to make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends while your eyes look on, and they will fall by the sword uh, of their enemies. And so I shall give over all of the Judah, uh, Judah to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will carry them away as exiles to Babylon and will slay them with the sword. And I shall also give over all the wealth of the city and all the produce and all the costly things, even all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I shall give them over to the hand of their enemies, and they will plunder them, take them away, and bring them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who live in your house will go into captivity, and you will enter Babylon, and there you will die, and there you will be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. This is where... As Jeremiah began to speak these, these great judgments that personally that would be happening on Jerusalem, various people rose up. Well, this is, a, this is one of the priests. One of the priests said, hey, I've had enough of you. I'm, I have the authority. I'm going to punish you. He put him in stocks, you know, for a day. When Jeremiah got out of it, he pronounced even more judgment on him personally. And let me see here... Um, uh, this name, Magor Misabib, actually it means terror on every side. He said, your name is now going to be terror on either side, every side. That everybody associated with you is going to be terrorized. And his entire family. And as he pronounced the judgment, he said, you're going to be taken in captivity. You're going to die in Babylon. You're going to be buried there. You're not going to be here. You're going to be you know, taken away. And everybody associated with you. It's going to be taken away as well. Verse 7, O Lord, thou hast, de- thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because of me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart he becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary holding it, and I cannot endure it. Uh, for I have heard the whispering of many, terror on his side, denounce him, yes, let us denounce him, and all my trusted friends watching for my fall say, perhaps he will be deceived, and so that we may prevail against him and take revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail, and they will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. The Essentially, let me just insert this. Jeremiah, you know, he went into the, the stocks, and that the way that punishment was that the people were free to come up and ridicule you and to say nasty things to you and say jokes to you. It's a little bit like uh, getting on the Internet and listening to all your friends, you know, chew on you. You know, it was that kind of thing when you got put in the stocks. It, and he's talking about how this was terrible. He said, look, I'm, 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 I'm doing what you told me to do, Lord, and I'm becoming the subject of ridicule and derision. I, uh, I'm, of course, not 
at the level of where Jeremiah was, but I've had a little bit of a taste of this. I've had a taste of going out and sharing the things of the Lord. Believe me, when I first went out in the ministry and uh, having been a good Baptist before and spoke not in favor of the preacher of rapture, but spoke of the prophecies of the day of the Lord and spoke of the prophecies of the great tribulation, I can remember uh, there was a lot of people that were more than angry with me. And it's like what Paul talked about. We wrestle not against flood, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He, he was subject to that conflict. too. He was subject to the derision and the people that wanted to come against the harm. And he was able to see above all of that. And, and in the same way, Jeremiah is doing the same. He's seeing above all that, and, and I, I identify with it. And I think any person who is going to stand up and repeat and speak the truth, stand up and speak what the Lord has said. And and here's Jeremiah who's coming to terms with that, and he's basically saying, even in the midst of it, even if I wanted to walk away, the Lord, you're in my life, and you're like this dread champion. You are going to win at this. You're going to win this battle. Uh, it's not going to be a fun battle, but you're going to win, and I have no choice but to stick with you. Uh, for it. Verse, um, verse 14, Cursed be the day when I was born. Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Curse, cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, saying, A baby boy has been born to you, and make him very happy. But let that man be like the cities, which the Lord overthrew without relenting, and let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon, because he did not kill me before birth, so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? That's pretty deep. Jeremiah is suffering such rejection, <clears throat> such emotional harm and physical harm, that he's literally saying, God, it, that was a huge mistake when I was born. I should not have been born. I don't know about you. You remember the 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 famous um, black and white uh, movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, the Jimmy Stewart story where, you know, he gets himself in such difficulty with his little savings alone and missing some money that he goes out on a bridge and he tells God, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd never been. And, and, and we have this story, uh, you know, where he goes back and discovers, this angel takes him around and discovers that what would have been like if he had not been born? What would have happened? And, of course, uh, I think the guy, the character's name was George Bailey uh, in the story. Um, and it's a, it's a very popular uh, story because the storyline is what really carries it. And it really speaks to every one of us. You know, um, if we get to the point where so, we're so discouraged that we say, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd never been here. And, and it's a wonderful story that says, no, if you hadn't been born, the world would be a completely, totally different place. It's very important that you were born. It's very important that you were a part of things. Um, Jeremiah, while he was in this desperate moment here, couldn't have quite yet understood how that you and I, a couple of thousand years later, were sitting around listening to the words of Jeremiah, okay, paying attention to the words of Jeremiah, and realizing that God spoke through him and spoke very many words to us to help us. And so he was paying a price, being the servant of the Lord, uh, to do what was going to be profitable for the kingdom. The reality is that God has not promised you prosperity and success. Let's just think about that for a moment. He's promised you eternal life. He's promised you uh, forgiveness of sins. But he never said, oh, by the way, you're just going to have an absolutely wonderful, incredible life as a result of that. Now, he has promised to bring you to the kingdom, which will be good. But this life here right now, there's no promise of prosperity and great success and you'd be happy. 
In fact, if you really examine what he said, he said, no, actually, if you're going to serve me, you're going to suffer. You're going to pay a price. If you serve me correctly, you'll pay a horrendous price. Of which, by the way, for everything that you suffer, I will definitely reward you accordingly. You will not suffer without reward. You will not suffer without payment. Um, Yeshua, you know, in Luke chapter 6, speaks to those that serve the Lord. And it says that uh, whenever men scorn us and chastise us and ostracize us and, and cast insults against our name, we're supposed to leap for joy because that's adding to our reward in the kingdom. Now, let me just go ahead and just tell you that uh, when you're going through it, it seems like a minor consolation. But the fact of the matter is, it is a consolation. And let's get this in our head. God didn't promise you it would be an easy road. I'll never forget um, the day that I got ready to go to boot camp. And when I had gone to the recruiter, and I was very excited about getting to go to the Navy. I had wanted to go to the Navy since I was 15 years old. I was, he knew I was very excited about going to the Navy. And so he was very accommodating, and we got signed up. And I was getting ready to leave, and uh, the, the recruiter said to me, he said, Now, Monty, he said, um, I, want to make, I want to explain something to you. I said, You know going into the military service, it's not going to be a rose garden. You, you know that, don't you? And I said to him, I said, Chief, I know. I understand. That's the reason why they call it service. And every guy that goes in the military, if you'd actually known what was going to happen to you before you ever went in, I doubt that you would have agreed to have done it um, because it is not a rose garden, and there is a price to pay, and it costs you personally. And um, But the same thing is true as if you're going to join forces with God in this great battle spiritually that's taking place. It's not going to be a rose garden. It isn't. We are in a world full of trials and tribulations, and there will be harm that takes place and disappointments and discouragement and depression and all of the things. Here's Jeremiah's, I wish I hadn't even been born. I mean, that's pretty desperate, don't you think? Um, Now, most of us don't have to endure it to the level that Jeremiah did. But that doesn't mean that we're exempt you know, from those things. And I think, quite honestly, it's like the experience that I had earlier in my life being in the military. You get to a certain point where you just say, look, this is the way it is. We're going to do this, and we're going to get through it. And you do it one day at a time, and you keep plugging. And and as time goes on in our mortal existence here, we do it one day at a time. You know, we're we're headed for the kingdom. We know it's there coming. And, and we're looking forward to that day when we'll be there. But in the meantime, we're going to do what needs to be done, and we're going to get it done, and we're going to keep going. And we're not going to quit, and we're not going to give it up. So that's part of what the encouragement is that I think Jeremiah is, is trying to express this is tough. Uh, and this is, they really want to do harm. They want to shame me. Uh, but I'm going to trust in you, Lord, for it. All right, chapter 21, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the son of Malach Yah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Maaseiah, saying, Please ignore the Lord on our behalf, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is warring against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful acts, and the enemy may withdraw from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, You shall say to Zedekiah as follows, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to turn back the weapons of war which are in your hands, with which you are warring against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the wall. And I shall gather them into the center of this city. 
and I myself shall war against you with an outstretched hand and mighty arm, even in anger and wrath and great indignation. And I shall also strike down the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast, and they will die of a great pestilence. Then afterwards, declares the Lord, I shall give over Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and his servants and the people, even those who survive in the city from the pestilence, the sword, and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into his hand of their foes, into the hand of those who seek their lives, and he will strike them down with the edge of the sword, and will not spare them, nor have pity or compassion. So here the day finally comes. Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem. King Zedekiah is the king in Judah at the time. Here's Jeremiah. He's in the city. Zedekiah sends a message through the priest. Remember that priest where it says terror would be on every side that Jeremiah had spoken against? Sent a message to Jeremiah and said, Could you beseech the Lord and see if the Lord would turn and grant us favor? And Jeremiah says, No. Let me tell you what's going to happen. He said, they're on the outside of the walls. Very soon, they're going to be on the center of the city. You're going to go into captivity. And you're going to see the wholesale slaughter of all who fought King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to slaughter all of them. And he's pronouncing direct and very personal judgment upon King Zedekiah for it. Um, The Babylonians will find out about this. They will find out that Jeremiah told Zedekiah, you need to surrender right now. Do not war and fight. Because if you keep war and fighting, you're going to die. And so the Babylonians, you know, they were saying, hey, Jeremiah is a true prophet. Uh, we're going to come in. We're going to slaughter him. Just like he said, you should have listened to that prophet. If you'd have surrendered to us, maybe you wouldn't have been slaughtered. Uh, and it's kind of an ironic that here... The prophet of Judah, speaking against Judah, even the enemies recognized Jeremiah as a true prophet. But Judah could not recognize him as a prophet from it. And it kind of speaks to the the irony of Jeremiah's um, work as a prophet amongst his people. All right, we will take up our study again in Jeremiah in the next program beginning at verse 11 um, here in chapter 21. And until that time, shalom to all of you.